Yes, hello and welcome back to Long Ball Fuji Ball. Thank you very much for downloading episode 9 of our podcast and to everybody who tuned in last week. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to myself, Albert, and my brother, Barney. How you been, Barney? You had a good week? Yeah, I'm good, man. I'm recording in a different location today. I've been painting the walls in the office and it, I, I got really high earlier. Like, <laughs> I had to lie down for a bit. <laughs> we should we should probably at some point start doing what all the posh podcasts do and offering the video to like the <laughs> Patreon members because to, yeah. I can only describe what Barney's sitting at at the moment as some kind of elaborate, colourful den. Is that a towel with a picture of a motorbike on yeah it's a towel i think it says easy rider i, I don't know where i got it from but um, doing doing wonders for the acoustics yeah it works quite well and sitting on the floor helps as well <laughs> none of these fancy microphones that you can move to any direction i've, I've got it absolutely propped up. keeping it real <laughs> how about you good yeah totally fine uh good week quite a different week obviously because of not having any league action to watch luckily no late night players are involved in any international teams Sadly, so I mean, I got to watch them lose two one to Colchester, which was good. I mean, it's weird, isn't it? I, I feel with the international game as well. I sort of they're on weird days, so I, I, I to be honest, man, I missed the Portuguese men's team uh, game against France. I thought it was on the Sunday, and then I missed <laughs> it was on the well, Saturday. I, well, I managed to catch both the England games, which personally I wished I'd missed because they were absolutely not worth watching at all. The less said about that, the better. But yeah. As Barney's alluding to, international break this week, which means no club football. So a slightly different podcast for us this week. It's going to be a bit more relaxed, a bit more laid back. Gives us a chance to talk about some things that maybe we can't fit into a normal podcast. We will be discussing the how the Portuguese senior and under-21s team did in the international break this week. We'll also be talking about some of the other players from the Liga, Primera Liga who played abroad. A couple of bits of news. And then at the end of the podcast, we're going to be doing a little comparison where we compare our best 11 from the league so far this season so we've got that coming up but yeah first things first Barney Portugal 7 Andorra nil. not bad I know not bad at all I mean it is Andorra but um, <laughs> a, a, fantastic, <laughs> a fantastic performance and the best thing really is Paulina getting a start up top and putting in a really good shift we had a good chat about him last week didn't we because uh yeah I think he totally deserves his call up we talk quite regularly about which players we think could get a shout at the national team from Premier Liga. Some of them are a little bit more tenuous than others, but Paulinho for me was the one real uh, standout player that I thought should be should be getting in that team. Right down. I know. I think despite him getting the two goals, it was more his um, link-up play for me that you could just see. I mean, I think the first goal came from a, a Liga Nos double of uh, Paulinho sort of heading it back to Liviero, who just laid it off for Neto to slot home. I had it written down as an assist, assist. So like he assisted the assist. It was a bit tenuous, yeah. but I thought you know. He, he had a good, he had a big part to play in that goal. Definitely, and I think he's done wonders for his um, sort of trying to get into that squad for the Euros. He's just the sort of player that like, I think. Obviously, Ronaldo's a different like striker. I think Jao Felix as well. Both when they play up top by themselves, they sort of offer a, a different thing. But Paulinho is, yeah, he just I think like he connects things more, and he's a he's a real good like vocal point for the team, uh, and just a, a different option that I think a lot of international managers want. They want to not have the same sort of players. They like to have an option on the bench they can sort of revert to. I mean, he did come on against the France game and wasn't able to turn things around. And Sergio Oliveira as well started and Dora game, but it came on against France. So I do think the France 11 that they went with was Portugal's strongest team. And I mm-hmm. don't think Paulinho or Sergio Oliveira are in that. Nonetheless, I mean, I think Paulinho has definitely really sort of made a great shot of trying to cement himself in that squad. He's done himself absolutely no harm at all, really. And I know you mentioned 
about what he can kind of selflessly offer the team, like chipping him with assists and build-up players like that. But let's not forget, he's a lethal finisher. His, I thought his header, uh, I can't remember if that was his first or his second goal, but his header was like, fantastic, showed great striking ability. So I think he'll be a really, really useful player for Portugal. I hope, you know, and I hope, I've got a soft spot for him. I hope he gets more call-ups. Call up, I think he deserves it. No, I'm rooting for him as well, yeah. Well, as you mentioned, they lost 1-0 to France, which, like England, sees them knocked out of the uh, Nations League finals, which they, of course, won last year. Uh, but the under-21s had a good, uh, having a better international break, shall we say. Two wins from two, 3-0 against Belarus, 2-1 from Cyprus, and a lot more Premier League representation in that team. Yeah, it really was. It's, um, it was only one or two players who weren't in there. They're the Benfica players out on loan. Getson Fernandez at uh, Tottenham and Florentino at Monaco. The thing for me, I watched some in-depth highlights of the 3-0 win against Belarus. That performance was unreal for me. The, some of the, the, the link-up play, the, the passage of play were just sublime. They just Everyone seemed to connect really well. and I, They only won by 3-0 um, and it should have been a lot more for me. I mean, they hit the bar a couple of times and... But yeah, it was so exciting, really nice to see. I think it's quite, particularly nowadays for me, it's quite rare that you see an international team be on the same wavelength. You know, they seem to really know exactly where the movement was going to be and where to pass. Very, very impressive. I didn't see much of the Cyprus result. Obviously, they conceded there. Um, but a few more players came in. They mixed it up a bit more. I mean, what's surprising for me, though, is um, uh, Pedro Gonçalves in that team. And just because of the way he's been performing the season in the league, I just assumed he'd be in the men's team, like the performance he's put in. To have that strength for young 21s is bad. I think it's probably come slightly too soon for him. I think, and there's always that argument to be had about uh, what's more valuable for him, going and having that experience, training with the senior national team, but probably not starting or, uh, you know, playing full 90 minutes twice or three times with the under 21s, you know. So there's always that argument to weigh up about what's more valuable I agree, though. I think possibly, given that uh, two of these Portugal under-21 games were against very beatable opponents, it probably wouldn't have been a bad thing for him to miss those games. And, you know, he might have had a great experience training with the, the senior national team. Well, Nuno Mendes, a sporting left-back, was interviewed about, you know, because there's been so much talk about him just getting that left-back spot for Portugal, which some people see as a bit of a weak spot. But he was saying he's more than happy playing where he is at the moment, you know, He's got plenty of years ahead of him. And I guess Poe has as well. It's just the strength, really, for me. The Portu- like, you know, Rafael Leal was even in that team. Like, he's been mm. really good for him and this season. Um, some really, really known players as well. And that's mainly due to the fact that the amount of minutes they're getting in the league, which is, I think, fantastic to see. And minutes for the big three as well, which is, um, yeah, really good. But exciting times for the Portuguese under-21s, I feel. Yeah, so obviously, despite that 1-0 loss to France which Portugal will probably be very disappointed about. A lot of positive to take for them from the international break. Um, Barney's done a lot of research and is going to do a sort of almost a little report on uh, some of the players from the Premier League are playing for other countries abroad, starting with Darwin Nunes, who got a goal alongside his sort of father figure, I imagine, in the Uruguayan team, Edison Cavani. I've, yeah, I like how um, it seems that Darwin Nunes is sort of trying to grow his hair as well, but it looks a bit sort of emulated. <laughs> Cavani's luscious locks. It's true. But um, yeah, so he he's in the squad, and you know he has got Cavani and Suarez to sort of. I mean, they're getting to the world's the end of the career. Let's be honest. So he, mm. he's the perfect replacement for both of them. Um, he came on against Colombia. He got his goal. Um, they won that game three 0 I think Colombia got a red card at some point. So, okay. but a good good result. Um, they're playing Brazil later in the this week, so that'll be exciting to try and catch. Definitely. Um, he's only played fifty nine minutes for Uruguay before, so this is his first sort of 
you know, second call up as it were. I'm just interested because the, the the hype is really building with him. Um, it's really getting momentum. I feel um, there's even a lot of Barcelona rumors coming out recently in the last few weeks. Yeah. Um, we've both been impressed with Albert, um, and he is a good player. But it's I don't know if we everyone's getting a little ahead of themselves. Um, no, I think that's the polite way of putting it. I think because we both saw those Barcelona rumors quite a few times actually, so it must be coming from somewhere, you know. So for me. The first thing I thought when I heard that was just, it's too soon. You know, I think for him right now, he's at a good level for him. You know, he's scoring goals in the Europa League, scoring goals for one of the best teams in Portugal. I think it's a good level for him. I think he's got a manager who, despite, you know, we've had a bit of a laugh and a joke at George Jesus' expense about his treatment of some of the younger players. I think, in all fairness, George Jesus will be a good manager for improving his game. But yeah, I think it's a bit too soon for him. Weren't you telling me his agent was almost saying something along similar lines? Yeah, his agent said he, he's not moving until 2022 if, if he does. Hmm. And I think you're absolutely right as well about he's in the right place. I think the, the main thing for him is minutes. He's going to be starting every game for Benfica. And then, yeah, Jorge Zeus, I think as well, yeah, I think he's is the right manager. Um, and he obviously sees him as a really good player. I think he, when he was questioned about these Barcelona rumours, he was he was saying he won't go for anything less than Jao Felix went for, which is a huge <laughs> bet. Yeah. I'm um, not so but, sure about that. But also for me, not that like... Not that far fetched, I feel. I feel like the, the well, climate and the money that's being chucked about. No, look, all, all, all credit to him. I can see him going for a hefty fee if he keeps improving the way he's going. I, I, mainly because there's quite a lack of players like him. So I can imagine one of the big teams who really needs that type of player, which is quite a rarity, uh, putting a lot of money on towards him. But yeah, maybe not quite what Felix went for. <laughs> no, I, I can't see that just yet. In terms of um, other international call-ups from uh, Liga Nos, there's qualifiers for the African Cup of Nations, and there's quite a few representing countries. The biggest one was Ang- Angola. Forgive me because I'm not that knowledgeable, but they're, they're Portuguese-speaking country, aren't they? That's yeah, why we yeah. see. That's why we sort of see so many Angolan players in the league. Justin Dalla was obviously in there. Another player I hadn't really seen much of and wasn't that aware of. Uh, Hugo Marquez is the friends goalkeeper. I think oh, of he's. Course, yeah. I think he hasn't started all games. I think he's trying to cement his spot at number one, but he was called up. Another goalkeeper, actually, as well, Cadu, uh, who's actually playing in the Liga Pro for Sporting Espino. He's got called up to the team. Then there's the show, the uh, Lille midfielder at Bovista, he was starting for them. And then here's a good one. I think he was at Bovista last season. Mateus, the 36-year-old striker. Wow. Um, he's had a long career in Portugal. He was in the squad as well. Fantastic. So that, yeah, that was quite uh, quite interesting. And then, yeah, Cape Verde, I think uh, there was a CD national player, uh, Nuno Borges, in there. Adding Maserati with Libya. It was really hard to try and find details of the squads who have been called up for these African teams. There seems to be very few websites. A few uh, clubs would tweet about the players leaving, but not mm-hmm. all of them. When you look at the squads, you know, there's Lufa Singh in South Africa. Couldn't really find out if he'd um, been called up. Uh, also, a few Marlin players. Uh, Sacco from... Uh, Joe Grimaris, I think he was in there. Yeah, and sort of touching on Mali Albert, I saw an article about uh, Conscious Sal sort of feeling relieved because um, there was a few players in Porto who sort of refrained from going with the national teams, big players as well. So Mr. Morega was one. I couldn't really find much information about why he's probably Mali's best striker. And then Nakajima as well for Japan, he didn't go to play for them. And uh, Mediterranean as well for Iran. I think Iran only had a friendly. There's no competitive games, but um, you know those are all big players for their countries. Well, obviously, with the way things are in the world these days, I imagine there's a kind of certain scepticism with some people about not travelling if it's not an important game. 
doesn't really apply for Morega though, does it? If it's an official uh, African Cup of Nations qualifier, especially when I think he's a bit of a talisman for Mali. I'm not sure if you what you think about this, but I couldn't help but think that maybe seeing as three players from Porto all declined their national call-ups, maybe there was some kind of pressure from the inside to keep them in the training camp. Obviously, they'll be looking to improve their performances in the league. Or maybe it was just the players themselves. You look at Nakajima, you look at Mediterranean players who haven't quite broken into the first team this season. So maybe that was more their way of kind of just impressing the manager. Well, the only other ones of note, really, um, Amir Abdezo starting goal for Iran. He's sort of Maritimo, who we sort of touched on a bit at the beginning of the season. And Chancel Mbemba as well. We played for Congo against Angola. But yeah, there's there's a, a, a lot of players in, in this league who represent... To be honest, smaller countries that we don't don't really get to see that often, um, and it's really it's really interesting to see. Well, moving on from players who were selected to play for the national team, we're going to move on to talk about players who didn't get a call up. And we've discussed English players on this podcast quite a lot for obvious reasons. But we've been discussing this outside of the podcast multiple, multiple times about which English players in Portugal we think could be playing at some kind of international level. And the standout one, of course, is Marcus Edwards, who at 21 years old hasn't had a look in for the England under-21s. I'm not sure about you, Barney, but for me, when you look at some of the other players that are getting called up into this international England under-21 squad... Uh, especially from other countries as well, not just from England. Uh, I am quite surprised and a bit disappointed for Marcus because I think he's got every right to feel like he deserves to be in that squad. Yeah, I agree with you. And um, the main thing is that he, he starts every game and he has done for not only for this season, but last season as well. And he played really well last season as well. Yeah, one, yeah, one of the best players in the league. I mean, there was lots of rumours about him. One thing that surprised me, I, I just assumed he was a bit too old for this squad, but when I saw he was 21... You know, um, I think Hudson Odoi is twenty, and the amount of hype around him—he's a good player. Don't get me wrong, but he's not playing every week for Chelsea. Mm. And obviously, this is a different league, but playing regularly is such an important thing for a player. I feel because Isa Suleiman is also there, and he—we knew that he'd been playing at um, under twenty level for England. There wasn't a direct, clear-cut moment, but when both of these players moved to Portugal, they soon stopped playing for England, or like they stopped playing for England for a little while. And I just wonder if it's something to do with that. I mean, look, let's look at the team, uh, the players. I, I heard a few players that I thought Marcus Edward could definitely be getting in the England squad ahead of. Um, Jamal Musiala, um, from, he's currently at Bayern Munich, but I think he'd be playing at Bayern Munich too. We, we, I feel like know very little about this guy. He might be a decent player, but like he's, he's not start, he's nowhere he's starting for Bayern Munich. And if he's been playing for Bayern Munich too, that's the third tier of German football, you know. And yeah. you can't tell me that that tier is better than Portugal. Ryan Sessegnon as well. I mean, he hasn't had much of a look in at Tottenham. He's a good player and he's on at Hoffenheim. But both these players, you could easily see Marcus in, in that squad ahead of. I'd give Ryan Sessegnon more credit than Jamal Musiala. I mean, Ryan Sessegnon has played for Tottenham. But the thing for me is that Ryan Sessegnon is a left winger. Well, Marcus Edwards' office is he's, that, he's a left-footed right winger, which is a really useful position, especially the formation England played with a 4-3-3. The only other player playing on the right wing is Callum Hudson-Odoi. I think you were, were totally correct in your assessment of him. So it's quite surprised me because Marcus Edwards is obviously one of the players in this league, one of the English players in this league, with the most undeniable talent. I mean, you just mentioned Issa Suderman. I think it would be a bit more of a stretch to suggest that he should be playing for England at youth level. Um, but Marcus Edwards, he's one of the best players for Vittorio Guimaraes and they're a top five, top six Portuguese team. 
he played in the Europa League against Arsenal last year and did really well. You know, this is a player who was on the books at Spurs and had a great reputation. So it's not like the scouts don't know what who he is. Um, so I was very surprised at that. Uh, I think obviously what you said about Issa Suleiman not playing for England since he's moved to Portugal. I think he probably wasn't playing for England for a bit longer before that as well. I mean, let's not forget that he was released by Aston Villa. I'm sure he will have aspirations to revive his England career. And I think he showed a lot of very promising performances, but I think he's a, probably a longer way off from Marcus Edwards, hampered slightly probably by the fact that he's at 22. I'm not sure he's eligible to play for the under-21s under anymore. I'm sure England will be looking at some uh, younger centre-backs playing for more prestigious teams. I think for someone like Issa Suleiman, if he's going to have a route into the England team, it's going to be more along the lines of somebody like O'Connor Cody, who steps out of that big team you've set up, moves away, learns their craft, builds themselves up as a player and comes back into maybe the senior setup if he gets a run of games at a Premier League team at the age of 26, 27 maybe. I think you're definitely right. That's a great point. Um, the good thing about Faiza Suleiman though, he seems to be finally getting starting spots for Vittorio Grimaro's week in, week out. I haven't seen a great performance from him yet, but if he's going to get consistent games, he's only going to improve. So that would be good. Right, well, just to move to another home nation who were in action over the weekend, uh, and Scotland had a much more successful international break, uh, qualifying for the Euros for the first time in quite a few years. We'd obviously like to extend our biggest congratulations to every Scotland fan listening. Great success for them. Look forward to seeing them at the Euros. But that said, Barney, with the qualification spot secured for next year, Ryan Gould has got to have his eye on that senior spot for the Euros. He must be licking his lips at that. I Definitely, if I was him, I would be for sure. Mm-hmm. it's just whether he's going to get noticed. The only thing is for me, when you look at the Scotland squad, let's be honest, I'm not familiar with a couple of these players, but so there's Lyndon Dykes from QPR. Um, I think he had a good game actually against uh, Serbia. Very hard working. Yeah, Oliver Burke, Sheffield United. I don't think he's started many games. Ryan Fraser from Newcastle United. He's decent. And then Lawrence Shankland from Dundee United. These are all sort of players playing a similar position to Ryan Gold. I think the difficulty for Ryan Gold is... I. I can't define his position, if, Albert. I, I, I don't know what it is. And so if you're a manager and you've got a, a setup, let's be honest, Scotland's setup's going to be not the most... I mean, I know they've been playing free, free at the back and stuff, but you're not going to have that role that I feel Ryan Gold plays. It's a bit of a free role behind the striker. I, there's not many managers who have, play that style. And so I think it could be difficult for him to get in, actually. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it could be very difficult. Uh, I don't think they play with that. I don't think they play with that number 10, 10 position, really. But the thing that Ryan will offer you is that he will work hard in whatever position you play in. I think he could play on the right side of midfield. I think he could play on the right side of a front three. I think he could play probably in, in a central midfield three as well because he'll just work that hard for you and he'll chase down tackles. I mean, we've seen it for Ferenc. We've seen it this season. You know, him leading from the front, chasing down players from the front, winning tackles. So he's a very different player. And this is something that I hope... Scott, the Scottish staff will notice, anybody watching him will notice that he is a very different player from the one that left Scotland. He's not the lightweight mini Messi that he was dubbed at the time. This is a player who's built up his strength, his attitude's changed, he's a, a phenomenal team player who will work really hard for his teammates. It's difficult, you know, it's all, it's all well and good us sitting here singing his praises, but someone's got to be, someone's got to be conveying that to the Scotland staff. Somebody's got to be getting this yeah. message out to them that you know, this is a player that you can be looking at for these reasons. I really hope he does get uh, a look in. I think now's a good time to mention the two interviews with Ryan that have been knocking around recently. One with a Scottish podcast called Scots Abroad, which does a great interview. That was fantastic, yeah. Yeah, great interview with Ryan where he discusses his time in Scotland and his time at all the different clubs, Arvish, Dubal, um, 
and how he feels about playing in Portugal. And of course, the one that came out this week by uh, Próximo Jornada, who interviewed him and talked about how he's been doing this season with Ferenc. So there's a lot of content out there. It seems like there's a bit of a buzz building around him, and I hope it culminates in a great season for him this season. I hate to say it for Ferenc fans, maybe a move to either a bigger Portuguese club or a big team abroad, and that will help him get into that squad for next year. Well, I think one thing I learned from uh, those interviews is that um, he's only got a year left on his contract with the option of a another year. Is that right? I Which... couldn't quite work out whether it was this year was the option or there's an option for next year. But yeah, it's running out anyway. Yeah, so he, I mean, he's going to be he's going to look good in the shop window. Um, whether whether he gets a starting spot in the Scotland squad or just gets a seat on the plane, you know, mm. I, he'd just be a fantastic. Option. Even just to get him on the last ten minutes, if you need someone to work hard, press high. You know, he is he is your man. And a bit of magic as well. He'll unlock a few doors, you know? I don't think this is a conspiracy word, but what I, I think from these three players we've just looked at, I've, part of me does feel that there's a little lack of a lack of awareness of the Portuguese league. I don't, well, I've got no facts or anything like that to prove that. It, <laughs> and, and it could well be the fact that we're sort of looking at seeing these players week in, week out. But I, I don't know Lauren Shankland from Dundee. I've never seen him play. But I bet a lot of money that Ryan Gold is a better player than him. I mean, I, you know. I mean, we don't want to anger any Scottish football fans <laughs> to us, but I would argue that the, the uh, Portuguese top division is the highest standard than the Scottish first division. So, Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, the, the way Ryan's playing, you know, if he doesn't get to, into the squad, it's nothing to do with him for me. He's, yeah, he's done everything for himself that he can. And if Steve Clark's listening to this, get him on the plane. I guarantee you won't be disappointed. Well, obviously, Bonnie, a common theme that's co- cropping up from this chat we're having is... Uh, our perception that perhaps the British scouts for the national teams are not really looking at Portugal uh, and you start to worry whether there's really not enough eyes on these players to get them noticed. Yeah, so I mean, we touched on Jamal Musiala and Bayern Munich. Obviously, Jaden Sancho plays in Germany and that sort of, and there's quite a few young players as well now moving to Germany. And of course, that means there's, if there's, as there's more players, there's more reason for our scouts to get over there or to focus on that league. One thing that's literally just popped into my mind as well, Albert, is it is quite hard for us to watch these games. The big free play on free sport, so that's easy enough. But otherwise, yeah. it's quite hard to, to watch Vittorio Grimmiros week in, week out. It could be that simple, you know. It could, it could simply be the fact they can't get it on the TV they can watch it. So. I think, I think you're perfectly, it's a perfectly valid point to bring up. I mean, it's not just about being able to watch it on the TV, I suppose. It's just about the, it's about the, it's about the reputation of the league as well. You know, it's just not one of the most... Sadly, it's not one of the most famous leagues in... Europe and I just hope we saw how in Germany a player like Jaden Sancho really broke down that barrier and proved that young players going to Germany would be a good route for them I suppose you hope that someone like Marcus Edwards would do the same I mean we saw Issa Suleiman and Jacob Maddox join him who knows maybe more English players will look to Portugal as a country that they can go to to further their development Right, well, moving on to this week's news, Barney, uh, and we've got our second managerial change of the season, and it's Ricardo Suarez, the manager of Morirens, who left by mutual consent uh, to go and manage Gil Vicente, and he was replaced by Cesar Peixoto. What do you make of this move, Barney? Because it just seems like a bit of a sideways move to me. Yeah, I agree. So, yeah, so Gil Vicente sat there manager after, what was it, four, four losses in a row? And yeah, so this move was sort of to take up that that role wasn't it 
And obviously, Gio Vicente could low down the league lower than Morienz at the moment. I was under the impression that Morienz was a bigger team when we started this podcast, just from I've more I'd recognized one or two of the players, Flavio Brew, but no, he's now moved on and stuff. But when, he, when I think about it a little bit more, I, I think it's the right move. I, I, I like a few of the players with Gio Vicente. I think they've got some good young players, um, Samuel Lino, who, who is my man, um, yeah. <laughs> and I love. <laughs> uh, but there's a few other players. It's interesting. I feel like the Gio Vicente got more of a sort of history as well, sort of in the league. I wish I knew that, to be honest, Bonnie. I mean, we obviously did our team in focus section on modern ends a couple of weeks back, uh, and they seemed like a team who, you know, relatively established top division team. Certainly for me, I would have said they were the better team than Gil Vicente, and I would predict them to finish higher up in the table. Neither team are going to be set in this league alike, but for me, modern ends have got just that bit more consistency. They look a bit more solid. Uh, Gil Vicente seemed like a bit of a... I'm not going to say basket case club, but you know they seem they've got you know they're seventeenth in the table for a reason. Obviously, some good players, Samuelino, of course, good player. A bit of a strange one for me. Monolens have brought in Cesar Pichotto to replace him, a manager who's only ever managed in the lower leagues. This is his first top division job, so we'll see how he does. He'll probably he'll probably look to carry on some of the good work that Monolens have been doing already. Yeah, and for Gil Vicente, I suppose a bit of a coup, really, getting a manager from a team that was higher up the table and they'll look for him to bring in solidity I mean the bit, I, if I was Mario manager of Moriens and then they sold Fabio Abreu like late on in the transfer window and didn't replace him I, that would have done, done me in I mean yeah, I true. think it's a massive loss that's um, a good point so yeah I, we'll have to see how he does Is it a four, there's four, been four changes for managers this season already in the Portuguese league and it just got me thinking because they seem to have a name for this league of changing managers so frequently um, be it mid-season, be it at the end of the season. So when I had a look into the numbers, so last season there were 29 managerial changes. The year before that, 23. The year before that was 24 changes. It's just so much changes. I mean, you compare it to wow. the Premier League, uh, 11 changes last year, 13 the year before. So almost half the amount of changes. I saw an interview um, earlier in the year with uh, Jose Gomez, the uh, ex-Reading manager, talking about learning your craft in the Portuguese league. And he sort of has started to imply that, you know, the fact that you could, you could essentially lose your job if you lose four games in a row could breed this sort of negative style, you know, where, you, you know, you just don't want to concede a goal at all, just get a point or whatever. I I think I disagree. I think with all these changes, just looking at it quickly, it can seem like a, a negative thing. You know, we always talk about uh, Alex Ferguson's long reign, Arsene Wenger's long reign, and how that, that doesn't happen anymore. And managers aren't given enough time. But if you think about it a little bit more, you could be managing a different squad of players every year. Mm. You'd have to adapt to so quickly. You'd have to learn so much about man management. I think Portuguese managers would certainly, it's all about sort of calculating the opposition, working out what you can do to, you know, stop them playing affect the game. And then you look at, you think about the success Portuguese managers have had. They're, I think Portugal currently provides more non-domestic managers to Europe's top five leagues than any other country. They, Best represented in the Premier League outside uh, English managers. They're best represented in the league, one outside French managers. And then you look at the Portuguese league, there's only two managers who aren't Portuguese. Uh, Lisa Vidigal and Paco Esteran of Cidinta Della, who's Spanish. It's sort of starting to make sense to me. Um, what seems like a, a ruthless and sort of bizarre thing could actually be crafting these managers and giving them this like, sort of experience of you know having to, having to learn so much so quickly. You know, you've got to be able to essentially just walk into a dressing room and, and go. You know you've only got a short amount of time. It's something I, I want to understand more of as we go further on in this podcast. And 
because instinctively I thought the amount of changes was bizarre and stupid and like surely can't work. But then when you look at it in the big picture and see the amount of Portuguese managers in Europe killing it, you know, it, it seems it makes sense. Yeah, that's totally right. And it's obvious to see that there's no shortage of Portuguese managers succeeding uh, in world football. You know, it seems like in every Europa League and in every uh, Champions League group, there's at least one Portuguese manager. So I think you're absolutely right to suggest that there's a reason why why this country is providing so many world-class managers. I mean, the only thing I is that so far this season, I haven't there hasn't been anyone who's caught my eye who I can see moving on. I mean, I, apart from the big free Ruben Almirón, um, mm-hmm. uh, I think mm-hmm. is a very exciting manager. Um, I think Carlos Carvajal as well has really impressed me. But there's no there's no one else really at the moment who's caught my eye. But I'm sure, like you said, we'll see we'll see further down the season. Well, the only other news I wanted to pick up on this week, Barney, is. Uh, Looking back to something we touched on a few episodes ago, uh, and that's the financial situation at current third division club, Vitoria Shadubal. For anybody who hasn't listened back, for anybody who's not listened to episode five of our podcast, uh, you can go back and check that out because that was the first time we did a little update on Vitoria Shadubal. Just to summarise, they were meant to be in the first division this season, uh, but due to financial reasons, had were forcibly relegated down to the third tier. And since we last spoke about that, there's been some updates. Unfortunately, uh, over the weekend, there was an on-the-pitch on protest uh, due to the financial situation at the club. The Victoria players stood still for the first minute of the game uh, while a subs bench held up a banner that read, We demand respect. Uh, and this comes after months of financial issues. Uh, this protest comes after reports of former players Rui Font and Wilson Eduardo paying the salaries of staff who hadn't been paid for approximately three months. There has been some recent progress, however, uh, and that's what we wanted to talk about this week. The club put out a statement saying that they were meeting with every member of staff to sort out all their problems individually and also that salaries were going to now be regulated uh, and hopefully that means they'll be paid with some regularity. The club also stated that an agreement had been made with Brazilian club Esporte Club Taubate uh, to manage a large amount of debt that they owe to them um, which is causing them a lot of financial problems meaning hopefully there'll be some slightly less financial strain on them uh, and obviously an awful situation where every day staff at the club are not being paid so we really hope that that reaches some kind of resolution very soon i think it's when um when players are sort of resorting to making statements on the pitch like that like not standing still for a minute it's a really um damning indictment really of where the club's at it's such a power image but something you see quite rarely in in real life and yeah hearing about you talk about in the beginning of this when we started these podcasts like you know and what you knew of that team it's it's really sad to see that this is sort of doesn't seem to be sorting itself out yeah, awful situation, really. I even read some comment on the internet where someone suggested that it might have been better just to disband the whole club and start with some kind of uh, Phoenix club, similar to what uh, Bellingham have done this season, uh, similar to what we might have seen in with Wimbledon in the English game. Uh, but we really hope it doesn't come to that. It's a team that I've got a big soft spot for. The first place I ever visited in Portugal was Setúbal, so I'm always rooting for them and trying to look out for what they're up to. And I think it's in both of our natures to really look into the lower leagues of any country's football, really. We both uh, follow an English team in the lower leagues. We've mentioned it a couple of times, supporting Leighton Orient. Uh, and the one good thing about this international break with no Premier League action was that it gave us a chance to check out one of the second division matches, uh, which we caught on Saturday at 11 in the morning. So lovely lying in bed, glass of orange juice, watching Esteval Pryor versus Kovac de Piedadji, ended 5-1. What did you make of the game, Barney? I thought it was quite an interesting game. Great game to catch, six goals. I think you, you when you were talking to me, you were a little critical of the standard. Um, yeah, perhaps. I thought it was okay. <laughs> yeah, no, don't get me wrong. I thought um, 
Esteril Pryor. Let's just go over the game quickly for anybody interested. Esteril Pryor. The reason I wanted to watch this one was because they were second in the second in the league before uh, the game started, and with the three points, they then went top of the league. It was a good chance to catch one of the better teams in the division, who will most likely be seeing uh, next year. Also, a team that I recognise uh, just from being in the Premier League before. Uh, definitely picked a great game to watch. 5-1 to Estoril Pryor. Looked very decent. Uh, not far off some of the teams we've watched in the Premier League in the season, I think. Uh, had a great striker called Yakubu Aziz. I wonder if he's related. Uh, got a hat-trick. Albert, uh, I was impressed by Aziz at all. I thought he was... Yeah, he, he looked really good. He's on loan from, from Vittorio Grimarish. I didn't know that. Interesting. Now, that's exactly the sort of player they need. Mm, For me, yeah. that, that striker... Um, I think he's got yeah, a bit more, bit more about the Duarte for me. Maybe not as much of a physical presence, but I, I thought he looked great. I thought you know he took his goals well. Um, he seemed really good with his feet, and just surprised me when I saw he's on loan from because I yeah, like I said, I just feel like they're desperate for a striker like him. It might have been easier for him to look good considering the standard he was up against. And this was something I wanted to ask you about. What was your opinion on the standard of the game? Uh, the defending for me was just absolutely. I mean. Astro didn't really have much to do defensively, but the other team, uh, the defense was absolute shambles. <laughs> I mean, it was real basics as well, man. Like when um, I think it was Astro's number nine, Vidigal. He there was his goal where he sort of just it was just doing keepy ups in the box for a little while, just knock it over defenders. Yeah, and then he went to get a shot off. The guy's got his the guy is fifty centimeters away from the shot. And there's no way that ball is going to go up and hit him in the face. It's just they would literally have to go directly up. And he sort of turns his back and just lets it go past. I don't know. It just some real basis that was just poor for me. Well, it's always interesting because the only barometer that I ever have when watching sort of low league football from other countries is could Orient give them a game? Right. That's how I judge how good they are. Um, and I think Orient could easily have taken this cover. The Padadi team. Yeah, that's a team in the fourth division in England. That said, I thought Estoril Pryor uh, were a much better uh, advertisement for the second tier in Portugal. Uh, I thought they played really well. A lot of good players, a lot of quick players. Vidigar impressed me as well. A team that I'm sure we'll be seeing next year and with a few uh, reinforcements will be uh, a good team. I think the thing it just shows though, Barney, is that there's such a disparity of ability uh, between not just the teams at the top and bottom of each league, uh, but between the leagues themselves, you know. So if you take the Premier League, for example, you've got teams at the top end of the table that would easily be battling out at the top of the Premier League. But then the teams at the bottom of the Premier League, are, I almost wonder, they'd probably be at the lower end of the Championship in England, something like that for me. Yeah, I think that's a really good way of explaining it. Um, some of the technical ability, also, but some of the organisation of a team defensively, I think that's where you really see the difference in like mm. the top teams and the bottom half teams. Yeah, so I think, to be fair, we don't want to slate the standard too much, but I think what you're seeing really is kind of the disparity in ability that you have between the top and the fourth division in England. Uh, you see that same difference in probably the top two divisions in Portugal. So, yeah, there are some teams at the lower end of the second division who probably would be around that kind of solid and good League 2 standard in England. Oh, well, I just looked, because um, Andre Villegal for Estoril, who looked good, um, is the nephew of Lito Vidigal, the Maritime. I manager. knew it. I, I knew he was going to be related. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Well, I mean, considering the standard of Estoril Pryor and the type of teams that Vidigal manages, I don't think it's beyond the realms of possibility that he'll be managing them at some point next season. 
okay, so for a bit of fun, because we haven't got any fantasy football to discuss this, so we thought we'd sort of put together a 11 of uh, players from the league and us that we've impressed us or we thought would perform well. But I think we've both gone for a sort of 4 4 2, maybe 4 3 3. But regardless, you know, we've got defenders, midfielders, attackers. And it's just a good opportunity for both of us really to sort of compare our thoughts and have a bit of debate about who we think has performed the best really and who we've enjoyed watching as well yeah totally i mean this is a this whole podcast is about us learning as much as we can about portuguese football as well so for us this is more you know which players perhaps have surprised us which players weren't we expecting at the beginning of the season uh and which players have just been the most impressive i run my through my team first if you like barney uh, and then we can compare afterwards so in goal i've gone for bruno varela player i've been very impressed with uh, we discussed his performance a couple of times in this podcast. Uh, he's found a bit of a home in Vittorio Gimaraes, playing there permanently now. Got his first senior call-up as well, so he's having a great season. Right back, I've gone for Pedro Porro. I know he's more of a right wing back, but you know we'll be a little bit lenient with the uh, tactical side of picking these teams. I've gone for Pepe at centre-back alongside Bruno Viana of Braga and the youngster Nuno Mendes, again, of Sporting at left-back. Central midfielders, again, this is not tactically accurate. I've gone for Sergio Oliveira and Pedro Gonzalez at central midfield. Sergio Oliveira, who's been so impressive for Porto, one of the few players who's regularly called up for the Portugal national team. And of course, Pedro Gonzalez, it goes about saying what season he's having. Right midfield, I go for Angel Gomez and left midfield, Ryan Gould. And up front, big man, Thiago Santana and Darwin Nunes. Who have you gone for, Barney? Yeah, I've a few slimmer for me. So uh, goalkeeper, I went for Daniel Grimmerish, who plays for Cedar National. Um, he saved two pens last weekend, and there's uh, been a few highlights of some incredible saves he's made. I mean, he's obviously playing for a National, so he's not going to keep clean sheets every week, but he's 33. He came to Cedar National a couple of seasons ago. He came from Brazil, having playing for a team in the regional championship. I couldn't work out what tier of Brazilian football, but it's not <laughs> the first, and it's not the second. Wow. Um, so I think that's absolutely remarkable. Um, then right back, I went for... Is as Gaio from Braga? Yep, yep. I really liked him. I think he's performed well. Whether Carlos Carlos been sort of playing five back four or back, either way, he's he's there and he's playing and he's he's playing really well. And also so attacking man, he's like yeah. a really really good attacking threat, which I love. I've also gone Pepe. I think he's been great, and I think Porto looked bad when he's not been in that back line. Um, and then yeah, Coates for me for Sporting, another one who I've. He's just quietly going about his business. I feel that back line completely. So I've also gone for Nuno Mendes as well. Then midfield, a couple of similar ones as well. Um, Angel Gomez for me. It was awkward with that uh, the way that fixture fell because we didn't actually have a good sort of opportunity to look at that Benfica game in detail. Mm. But I watched a video where it's just just seeing Angel Gomez touches in that game. Unbelievable, man! Fantastic. Like, yeah. it's a thing that I thought as well. You know, like Benfica. They, I feel like when you see them. They're a bit like, you know, in Space Jam, the monster team. They're all big, they're all strong. <laughs> <laughs> and then you've got little Angel Gomez. And he was just, <laughs> you know, for Tongan Otamendi. And then you've got Angel Gomez and he was just, oh. Man, best, player, he was, best player on the pitch that day. Oh, his feet were so quick. Um, yeah, really good. And then um, Sergio Oliveira as well for me. I think, yeah, we were big fans of him. And with the departure of Daniel, I think he's going to be a really big player for Boy. Pote as well. I mean, out of all these players, I think he's the only one who I think consistently every game, week in, week out, has put in a, a impressive performance. Definitely. So yeah, he's got to be in there. And then I went, I went with Ruben Ramirez uh, for for Malaga. I like I've that. seen yep. him a few times. Yep. And he's looked good to me. Uh, I like his footwork. I think he um, he's left footed but cuts in, play on the right side. 
Uh, I think he's on penalties as well, which you know he's, he's and he's put the few away. Um, so for me, yeah, Ruben Ramirez, and then yeah, Thiago Santana as well, and then my guy Samuelino. I was I sort of went with Samuelino over Darwin Nunes because of like we were talking about earlier, but I was starting to feel like there's too much hype around Darwin Nunes. Sure. And I feel like Samuelino is playing in a poor team, and like I discussed a few weeks ago, he's had a few goals ruled out for offside, and he's already got two or three. So I think he's been a good player for them. Are there any ones that you think I'm a fool for choosing there? Not at all, not at all. I think they're all very fair, um, very fair choices. Well, let's talk. Let's talk strikers then, Barney, because one player who I thought you might pick, and I also considered, but neither of us have gone for, is Brian Riascos. Yeah, I I was thinking about him because, like with like Samuelino, I think he's a, a good player in a poor team, and yes, it's quite yeah. noticeable when you watch it. When you watch that, I remember his first game because that's I, I watched that and. I think he was really impressed with that, but I don't think he's quite... I think Samuelian has had more big performances and got more important goals. Uh, that's why I went with him over Riascos. Yeah, very fair point. And it's interesting how actually up front is where some of the players from the lower teams are really shining. You've got Thiago Santana, uh, Brian Riascos, Samuel Lino, uh, Pino at Maritimo, another player who we both could have picked. I was very tempted to pick Pino up front. Uh, he's got a great goal-scoring record for, again, a team that we think are quite a defensive and not a very entertaining team. I watched Maritimo's win against Porto, and I mean, I watched a few games before that. And for me, I with Pino, I thought Nanu was so important for supplying him. Mm. And and we were to be discussed a little bit during the week. I've sort of forgotten about Nanu. He, he's mm. moved to Porto. He hasn't played. I was just saying how how good if he stayed at Maritimo, he'd been playing, and he was a really exciting player when he was. Um, but yeah, Pino, I think he needs to get more goals because they're in a bit of a different form, Maritimo. But um, he looks like a classy finisher for sure. We're looking back at the midfield then. We've both gone for Adrian Gomez. I know you were just talking about his performance against Benfica. We won't talk too much more about him because a lot's already been said. But just to quickly, another thing we might have overlooked is last week when we were talking so much about Ferenz and how happy we were for Ryan Gould. The other thing we forgot to mention was that uh, Angel Gomez was the player who got the one goal for Boa Vista and again it was a fantastic solo goal it was really overshadowed by the occasion uh, but he's a player that Lille fans could be really excited about coming back to France and it makes me really sad to say that because I would love it if he stayed in this league I mean part of me is thinking what are the chances of maybe one of the bigger Portuguese teams picking him up from Lille next season but yeah I would just love to see him stay in this league because he's such a talent yeah he really is I did try and get a bit tactical at one point I was actually trying to work out a formation um, right but um, only because I couldn't really think of a, a holding defensive midfielder who stood out. I think Estequio from uh, Pachos had that really good game against mm. Porto. But yeah, there's been no one who sort of stood out like as a, a holding midfielder. Well, players in that kind of role that I might have been tempted to go for, uh, Ali Mazrati from Braga, although not quite typical defensive midfielder. Uh, but yeah, he's a player that I've really enjoyed watching. It's a position that Benfica have really struggled with, but in general, I'm a big Julian Weigel fan, although he, he hasn't had a great season and he hasn't uh, been getting the minutes that you might expect him to, but he's a player who I think plays that role very well in this league. That's an interesting one, although they're supposed to be the kind of players who don't really grab the headlines. Uh, just to move back into our defensive choices, quite a few similar choices there. I really like your Esgaio pick, actually. Yeah, he's in my fantasy team. He's a player I really like. He's one of the better players at Braga, and it's it's difficult because I can see him playing for a better team. Uh, he'd probably have to move abroad to do that, possibly in Spain. I'm not sure he'd really move to Porto or Benfica, although I definitely think he could play at that level. Uh, and of course, Pepe, we both picked, who 
uh, is just having an incredible season and recently signed a contract that will see him play for Porto well into his 40s. Well, when he's 40. <laughs> but yeah, he's what a player and he's still got it at such an old age. Another one for me that is obviously injured, but Andre Almeida for Benfica. I think since he's the he's been injured, just seeing the drop off in that defensive line, I think is sort of clear how important he is for them, and he impressed me in his first few games as well. Oh, I, I'm so impressed with Andre Almeida. I mean, I watched Benfica quite closely last year while they were going through their sort of dramatic breakdown, uh, and it was bizarre to watch because they were playing so badly, but even still, he just looked uh, like such a good footballer. Barney. He's in his thirties now, playing at right back, but. He can do all that modern right back stuff, you know. He can his delivery is fantastic. Uh, he's obviously not very quick, so he's not bombing up and down the wing. But technique is fantastic. Great defender. Pops up with a goal every now and again. Uh, yeah, I can't stress enough how impressed I am with him. Yeah, and then I had a few others. Not so much because I think they're outstanding performers, but because when I've the games I've watched of them in, I've they've sort of caught my eye. Uh, there's Igor Nogueira from a uh, Vicente, Brazilian centre back. He, I liked, I've liked him when I've seen him play a few times. Uh, he's good on the ball. He looks to play forward quickly, which I think is quite good for um, a centre-back. And then also uh, Mansur from Santa Clara, another Brazilian. He played left-back or sort of part of a three if they've gone three at the back. I, I, I've liked the look of him. He's got he's good on the ball. Um, and he's assisted Thiago Santana already this season. And finally, Witty from Season National, um, really attacking left-back. He's quite young as well. Quite an exciting player for me. So yeah, plenty to look out for. And it's been... Yeah, it's been so much fun so far doing this, just learning about so many new players and so many new teams. So I'm sure we'll revisit this uh, further along in the season. We'll probably do some kind of end of year awards. The long ball football end of year, end of year awards. The 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 Lubbock Baftas. Yes, <laughs> that was awful. We'll come up. We've got we've got quite a few months to come up with something better than that. <laughs> right, I think we're going to wrap it up there for this week. Been a bit of a different week, so thank you for tuning in. A bit more of a casual one. We'll be back next week with more long ball football. Uh, long, don't you mean long ball football? This is starting to become a contentious, contentious point with me and Barney. You'll have to forgive me. Uh, I learnt Portuguese with a Brazilian teacher, so I think I've been sort of overdoing the pronunciation of of football. So, yeah, if anybody can email in. I'm not entirely sure. I think we're going to have to... We'll, have, we'll, we'll get to the bottom of this before next week. If anybody can email in and tell us how to pronounce properly the name of our own podcast, uh, we would be very grateful. Uh, if you want to get in contact with us, you can contact us on Twitter, at football. <laughs> I've lost all confidence in saying the name now. <laughs> or you can email us uh, at longballfootball or at gmail.com. Yeah, and also, if anybody ever... Like, any feedback in the sort of the content that we're providing... Me and Albert have just started this ourselves. We're sort of talking about what interests us, but if, if you've started listening and you think you want to hear us talk about something else, please suggest anything. We're completely open to ideas. Yeah, if you're not interested in us in banging on about third division Portuguese football teams every week, I don't know what you're doing here, but please do let us know. But yeah, for now, I think we'll say thank you for listening once again, uh, and we'll catch you next week. I'll see you next week, Barney. Yeah, I'll see you next week.